0: Good morning, everyone. Let's, I I knew uh, my, whatever I was talking about today would get humbled by that worship set. Like, let's give our worship team a round of applause. That was, that was awesome. Well, good morning, everyone. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Corey Smith, and I have um, a privilege of serving a part on the governance team here at Cambridge Community. Um, my introduction has become far more crucial than it used to be. I'm still learning a ton of names and, and faces, and I'm getting pretty good at it, but still not quite where I want to be with you all yet. And I, I Confession time, right? It's, if I if I hear your name and I repeat it and I try to remember it, I'm probably going to ask again until like five, six times from now. So you're going to have to be uh, gracious with me this morning. This is my first time up there on this podium. I was watching Ryan last week, and I'm like, I don't know how sturdy that thing is, but the, the Board of Trustees did a great job. It doesn't feel weak or anything, so I don't think you guys are going to get a show this morning. But the the last time I, I talked, I, we were at the Alamo, right? And the Alamo kind of has this um, amphitheater style, right? It's the teachers down below, and everybody's up front. So... You guys kind of looked down on me as I was teaching, as, as we worked through the lesson, and Ryan and Brandon and, and a ton of others that spoke at the Alamo, but so this this dynamic of me looking down on you feels weird, so like be gracious with me and give me a little bit of grace in that, and I'm going to look straight in the lights, Ryan and, Ryan and Matt gave me like pointers, and it's like to look back and not at the spotlights, um, so I should be good, but if I make awkward eye contact with you, it could be me, it could be the Holy Spirit, like I let you test that for yourself. So, <clears throat> we've spent some time walking through this concept of my part matters, right? So this, if this is your first service, first off, let me welcome you guys to our church. If, secondly, you haven't gone back and listened to some of those others on our YouTube, Facebook, I encourage you, they're going to be hugely beneficial for your time here at Canvas. Or, just being an individual part of the church at large, right? Last... Last week, Ryan made it super practical for us. Who who all remembers what Ryan's sermon was on last week? Test. No, i was just kidding. I won't, I won't do that to you guys. The idea uh, that Paul laid out for us in Romans 12 that we should really love the people within our community. Not just fake it till we make it, or act like we love them, but actually do life together. Grow together. And, and with that comes actual, real affection. I'm going to try to I'm going to try my best to wrap a bow on this series or, being honest with you, grenade all the hard work and like everybody's like, I can't even believe they let him up there. But today I've titled this conversation we're going to have, it's we're going to talk about dedicated dependence on Jesus. Super practical last week, now big picture. And I like when I get to talk about big picture ideas. Because it doesn't come with a checklist, right? It doesn't come with a check, check, check. Yeah, me and Jesus, we're good. My life is totally dependent on him. I like working in big picture ideas because it it gives the Holy Spirit room to move, to wiggle, to mold and chisel, and and to push each of us in the direction he would have us go. But this is where I'll make it super practical for a minute. Is in this experiment that we've done, in Winchester, in our city, right? Merging two congregations to hopefully serve the kingdom of God better in our city than together than we could do apart. Better together. So we've we've used marriage language when we talk about this thing because that's what it felt like. A marriage between two bodies coming together to better serve the God we both worship. This is something I'm truly proud of. And I'm gonna be super vulnerable with you guys real quick. <coughs> So I got emotional our first merge service together when this was actually something we were considering. Um, not because the worship team was rocking it. Obviously they were, right? Not because Matt and Ryan were driving this all-star sermon. Not because I got to see all your smiling faces. But because I got to see the fruition of God's handiwork in our city and more specifically in our church. And that got me thinking. The fruition of God's handiwork through us, right? I love having Jason up here. I love a hype man. The fruition of God's handiwork—that's <laughs> right—through us, right? Can we can we throw fruition up on the slide? Let's see if that, how the transition, this stage is good. There we go. Let's try see how that works out. Nope. who we fruition? The fruition will be defined as the point at which a plan or project is realized. Or two, the state or action of producing fruit. So what's the, what's the first five letters in that word right there? Fruit. It just so happens what we're going to talk about today. But this, this idea is one that shouldn't be foreign to you. If you've spent any time in church... The idea that we have the privilege to participate in this thing that Jesus instituted here on Earth, the church, should not be foreign to you. What we're going to do today is try to expand on that idea. It's not perfect, right? Everybody, we mess this thing up all the time, right? Unintentionally stepping on people's toes, or intentionally—that's a subject for another time. But it happens. Right, because we're we're messed up people. We're, we're not perfect people. We're coming together to do this thing for a perfect God. See, so this idea that the creator, the savior of the universe, allows us to participate with him in this thing called the church. So I've always loved this analogy that God's like this rock star CEO, right? And he's, he's built this amazing company. He's created this marvelous universe. And he pulls us into his office and he's like, all right, guys, well, I, want you, I want you to run this thing. And we're like, whoa, 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 Pump the brakes. Shouldn't you be doing this thing? And God's like, I will be through you, and y'all can't mess it up bad enough where I can't fix it. Right. See, some of us through church history have tried to push the limits. But I believe a church that is faithful and obedient to God cannot mess things up beyond its repair. But acts as a conduit for the world to see the God we serve. See, we've seen this. We've seen it from, from Genesis to Revelation. God chooses to be involved in this world, not by earth shattering moments. Sometimes they're earth shattering, sometimes they're delusions, and we got other stuff, but not all the time by earth shattering moments, but primarily it's through his people. Keeping our eyes firmly focused on Jesus. And his word, to keep us aligned, remaining connected to the true vine. See, we're, we're a testament to that, right? In 2022, how many churches are humbly, humbly coming together to say, God, not our will, but yours? See, I've titled my sermon today, Dedicated Dependence, because like Ryan says, any good teacher uses two words, same letter. I got you. So here I am. The, the worship team... As, like I said earlier, sang a song for us this morning entitled Ten. And, and Tara gave the context for the song. And I'm, Tara, honestly, I'm just going like, to give you my Bible and you can just read. You can just read whatever we got to talk about today. And I wish I could say that this is by coincidence. But you know what they say about coincidence. It's, it's not. So the question is, what does dedicated dependence look like? And more specifically, What does dedicated dependence in Jesus look like for us as individuals, our local church, and the global church as a whole? See, John 15 jumps into what scholars have called the farewell discourse. The farewell discourse gets its name because John's gospel, starting in chapter 14, has a hyper-focus on Jesus' last week before his crucifixion. And what knowledge Jesus wants to instill in his disciples the week before his death. For the, for the canvas folks, you guys know I love context, so I want to I set the stage for you. In John 12, we'll see Mary anointing Jesus' feet with perfume, a prophetic exercise in obedience that Jesus says will prepare for his burial. Then Jesus triumphantly, Enters in Jerusalem in the back of a donkey, a fulfillment of Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout and trump triumph. O people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble and riding on a donkey. John chapters 13 through 17, and we'll kind of combine those and work through them. We'll recount Jesus' last week with his time with his disciples, training them, building them up, preparing them to build his church. So, we're nearing that cross and resurrection time. John 13 sets the table for what's known as the Last Supper. Right? Sets the table for the Last Supper. <laughs> where Jesus will wash the disciples' feet. Then in John 14, we'll see the beginning of the farewell discourse. Where Jesus makes the proclamation, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, if you've never done it, There's a, I encourage you to do it. There's an interesting Bible study out there with the seven I am statements in the book of John. And what they do is they hearken they back to the Spirit of God introducing himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3, verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Just reinforcing the idea that the God who created the universe chooses to work through us. This is, this is it's a weird context, right? This is both exciting and humbling, that the God who created the universe chooses to work through his creation. Now now we'll pick up in John chapter 15 where Jesus makes another of the seven I am statements. And this is where we're going to spend the chunk of our time today. But let's read John 1, 15, 1 through 8. Tara, if you would just read that for us. I'll do it. Tara did a great job. I am the true grapevine, my I'm going to try my best to exegesis this section of scripture here. See, if if Jesus is the true vine, by rule of contrast, there must be other vines that are not the true vine, right? If Jesus is the true one, there's other vines out there. Um, See, this analogy of a grapevine would be something Israel would have understood from their scriptures, right? The Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, that throughout the Old Testament you'll find references to a grapevine that refer to the nation and the people of Israel. Just a few for context. Jeremiah two, twenty-one. I didn't make slides for him, saving Dave and Ryan some hard work this week. Um, but I had planted you like a corrupt vine in sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Got three from Psalms eighty. We'll start at verse eight. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Verse 14, return to us, God Almighty. Look down from heaven and sea. Watch over this vine. Psalm 80, verse 16, your vine is cut down. It is burned with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Hosea, Hosea 10, 1 through 2, Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for himself. As his fruit increased, he built more altars. As his land prospered, he adorned his sacred stones. Their hearts are deceitful, and now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will demolish their altars and destroy their sacred stones. This is the picture of a vine. Transplanted, growing wild, something apart from God's original design. Was something the nation of Israel knew all too well. I'm going to share this last section. um, And it's Ezekiel 15. It's easily referenced against John 15. Um, and I think this is the section of scriptures that Jesus had in mind when he's showing this lesson to the disciples, right? The, the disciples and, and people that were listening to Jesus would not have been ignorant to their Old Testament, right? They would have known these references. So let's take a look, if you will, at Ezekiel 15. I told Ryan I put a bookmark, and I'm like, I had Ezekiel and John referenced, and I'm like, I'm find John pretty quick. These thin pages on this Bible, that I can't, Really power to Ezekiel, so I'm going to save that one. But the top, <clears throat> the paragraph at the top of your Bibles is probably something along these lines. Jerusalem, a useless vine, or the parable of the worthless vine. Let's let's read this. This message came to me from the Lord, Son of Man. How does a grapevine compare to a tree? Is a vine's wood as useful as the wood of a tree? Can its wood be used for making things, like pegs to hang pots and pans? No can only be used for fuel. And even as fuel, it burns too quickly. Vines are useless both before and after being put into the fire. And this is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel are like a grapevine growing among the trees of the forest. Since they are useless, I have thrown them into the fire to be burned. And I will see if they they escape from one fire that they will fall into another. When I turn against them, you will know that I am the Lord. And I will make the land desolate because my people have been unfaithful to me. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. See, this rule rule of contrast is what we're going to go back to. Um, Jesus, if Jesus equals the true vine, there we go. If Jesus equals the true vine, Israel, Jerusalem equals a useless vine, apart from God. And I don't want you to think Put this context on there. I don't want you to think Israel, Jerusalem. I want you to think Israel, Jerusalem, and church, right? That next, that addition to a useless vine apart from God. See, this this idea of Jesus being the true vine sucks all the air and self-righteousness out of Israel and the church. And it should suck all the air out of our self-righteousness, right? See, if Jesus is the true vine, it's because he was faithful when Israel was not. See, if Jesus is the true vine because he was obedient even until death when Israel was not. See, Jesus is the true vine because he was God incarnate, taking on flesh to do what the first Adam could not. How useless are we as a people, as individuals, as a community, if our dependence, our dedicated dependence, does not come from being connected to the true vine. See, these were God's chosen people. They were descendants of Abraham, a people through whom God would show himself to the world. Deuteronomy fourteen two says, You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. Yes, See, Israel had a mindset that they were the vine, they were the chosen people, and they would be the conduit through whom God would bring them aside to save them from the world. Rather, God showing his faithfulness to creation would save the world through Israel in the form of the Mes- Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, not just Israel. See, church, I'll challenge you with this today. Do we have an Israel mindset? Have we become a useless vine, unconnected to the true vine, where we rely on religion, moral checklists, our own self-righteousness to see fruit produced? Do we... Do we view ourselves as the chosen people that God needs to save from this world? Or are we a people connected to a savior that plans on saving this world through us? Dedicated dependence on Jesus, the true vine. See, I want <clears throat> to I want to stay on this thread. Now I'm I'm no I'm no gardener. I'm a hunter. Even if this doc listening back there, doc's not listening good. Uh, it's sometimes a poor hunter. But, but not a gardener, nonetheless. So if you're not a gardener like me, where are the garvins at? Garvins right here, and I even put in notes for the windsets. Talk to the garvins, the windsets, also Jason's hand up either. Talk to the gardeners of the congregation. It's not me. It's not me. But if you're not a gardener like me, what they will tell you is that a fruitful plant that is pruned is a more fruitful plant. See the, the pruning cuts off what is a waste and what and pronounces more of the plant that is bearing the fruit. More gets more of the sunlight, more oxygen, more nutrients that it can use to better produce. See, versus us holding on to things that detract from the job that we have at hand. I, I have a sincere question for you, and I want you to be honest with me. Because I did it. I'll be the first one to confess that to you. How many of you, when I read John 15, 2, and 3, if you were focused on that verse, your mind instantly flooded with things you hope Jesus doesn't prune? Or better yet, do we, do we dwell on the comfort, comfortableness of the here and now of these things? Because we can't imagine what Jesus has in store for us if he prunes us. Church, I have a problem with mediocrity. And I'm, I'm, I'll be the first one. I'm guilty of it from time to time. But how many of us are leaning into the calling that God has poured into our lives? How many can sincerely say that? How many of us are willing to be pruned to see the kingdom of God flourish? How many of us are comfortable doing only what needs to be done to be called Christians? I'm going to stop there before I get any emails. Ryan at canvascommunity.church. But I promise you, church, the comfortableness of the here and now does not compare for what God has in store for us when he comes to dwell with his people. Amen. Dedicated dependence on Jesus is a commitment and a vision to see things done for the kingdom of God through us, not under our own power authority, authority, but Jesus's. Right. A people who work through God's love, not for God's love. Okay. And I do that. We as a people are... The city on the hill, the salt of the earth, the light in the darkness, the image bearers that represent our God to a world that desperately needs a saving knowledge of our King and Lord Jesus. But not not only a saving knowledge, but hands that feed, feet that carry, hearts that love, the poor, the widow, and the orphan. So the kingdom of God isn't built within these walls. This is the ring corner. This is uh, the locker room. This is the urgent care where we come to get patched up where the, the real game, the real uh, battlefield is out there. This is where we get iced down, take a drink, and, and and get sutured up before getting sent back out there to throw some punches or to take some punches. I think Ryan left his soapbox up here. Here, he's just, just out. But let's, let's think about that, dwell on that. We're going to... Come back to that, but let's jump back in for 9 for now. John 15 9 through 17. Just to you. That's why. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love when you obey my commandments. You remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things that so that you will be filled with my joy. Terry did a great job with that. There's, there's a little thing after this next sentence. It's called an exclamation point. I get ridiculed for using it all the time, but it's to show excitement. And I lost my place. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I've loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment. Love one another. So there's there's two points I want to make on this last section of Scripture. Point one is this. We put Deuteronomy 14.2 back up. This is chosen people language. This is a renewing of the covenant that God had with the nation of Israel. You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. This is now church language, right? An idea that we are God's covenant people as well. Not doing away with the nation of Israel, but in addition to. We've been grafted into the vine. You have been set apart as Holy. I'm going to ask that first question again. Do we view ourselves as the chosen people that God needs to save from this world? Are we the useless vine? Or are we a people connected to the true vine, to Jesus, who is reconciling all things to himself, making his enemies a footstool under his feet, and has chosen us to be his representatives to his creation? willing to be clipped and pruned of the things that drag us down so that the parts of our person that truly crave the things of Jesus can be pronounced. Point two is similar to the first. This is covenantal language. This is covenantal language, and I'll start again in verse 9. I have loved you even as the Father loved me. Remain in my love. Jesus, how do we remain in your love? Verse 10. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Well, Jesus, what is your commandment? Verse 12, this is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. Right. Verse 17, this is my command. Love each other. Right. So I told a lesson at our t- near the end of our time at the Alamo on the Shema. How many people are familiar with the Shema? All right, that's right. So the the theme of my Shema sermon was that listening, real listening, requires a response. When I asked my kids to clean the room and they didn't do it, how many people know that that struggle? And they didn't do it. I'll ask, why aren't you listening to me? What am I really asking? What what's kind of the root of my question there? I'm I, I'm not asking why. Your ears did not receive the waves that my voice was making. My question is, why didn't my command receive a response? This is what Jesus is asking of us here. Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. Remain in my love by following my commandments. My command is to love one another. How do we exemplify listening to Jesus' command? By responding to it. What did he ask us to do? Love, love. love one another. Do we do a great job at it? <laughs> no. Sometimes we get an cuts from that. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. I am the chief among sinners when it comes to this verse. I know it. I know it. You can You can talk Bible verses to me. I know it. Am I doing it? No, I'm only for myself. Dedicated dependence on Jesus is hard. Right. I'm still working on it. But I have no doubt in my mind that it's fruitful. Right. But how can I how can I say with confidence that it's fruitful? Because I've tasted it. I've had inklings of moments where I've spent time with Jesus. I'm sure you have moments too. Where you where you can taste, feel, bask in the fruitfulness of God I long to be in that moment every second of every day but I'm weak my flesh and my desires get in the way from the euphoria that is basking in the fruitfulness of God see church today my hope and my prayer is that we are people who are connected to the true vine not a useless vine in our own feeble attempts to do things but that through the God who created us saved us and is redeeming his creation through us can be seen in us. I'll finish with this part today. Where's, where's that? I'll finish with this part today. If your life isn't connected to the true vine, I encourage you to do so. Not because it benefits me in any form or fashion, but that I'm in awe of the majesty and beauty of Creator God. And I want that for you guys as well. And I think anybody who knows Jesus would tell you the same thing. Find me, Ryan, Naomi, Kent, anybody. Talk to them what it looks like to submit your life to King Jesus. Because there is hope in the true vine. There is hope. Peace in the true vine, there is joy in the true vine, and I want to invite you into those things that Jesus offers to us, not as slaves but as friends. See this week we're gonna change things up a little bit. And we're gonna we're not gonna do corporate communion. Now, a lot of you heard that and go, Okay, no communion this week. That does not excuse you from finding somebody breaking bread with them and, and talking about Jesus. What we're going to do is We're just going to sit together And we're going to reflect on Jesus His dedication to us Even when ours falls short Because the king Whom through our allegiance belongs Is faithful The worship team is going to sing a song entitled what if Jesus If you haven't heard it But if you haven't heard it I encourage you to just The words are going to be on the screen Dwell in the heart of this song Then I'm going to come back up and give the benediction. Just spend some time alone with each other, with Jesus, be in prayer. Um, Let's just remember the king we serve.